All right, poker fans, happy Sunday. How's everybody doing? D Franz here. So let, let's chat a little bit about bluffing. This episode is all about bluffing. And, you know, the first thing I'd like to say is, is telling a story is super important with bluffing and basically not giving up. If you start bluffing early, that's the beginning of the story. And then maybe the turn is the middle of the story and the river is the end. So, you know, one thing you just always want to keep in mind, what is that story that I'm telling? What hand am I am I trying to look like I have? We call it representing. Uh, what hand are you representing? What card are you representing when the when the turn comes out? What are you representing when the river comes out? If it flats, if it's like a junk card, you know, what, what are you representing the hand that you have? And, and keep in mind, your cards mean nothing. The actual hand you have means nothing when you're bluffing. You are telling a story. So let's get into it a little bit. Uh, first off, I want you to know that it's rarely done. If you watch a lot of professional poker on TV, they talk about bluffs getting through. It's rarely done. Let's go ahead and say less than 10% of the time. It's probably more like 5%. So if I sit down at a cash game, which is called a sit and go where I play, uh, and I, I usually try to play in four to six hour sessions. So let's just go ahead and go to the extreme and say six hours. If it's 5%, Let's just go ahead and say, let's ask Siri over here. What's 5% of six hours? And you guys, it's small. So we're talking about 30 minutes. So out of a six hour session, less than 30 minutes, you're going to be able to catch people bluffing. So remember that bluffing is like about 5% of the time. So if you sit down at a table and you just feel like you want to catch people bluffing over and over again, you're going to be the one losing that hand. Because most of the time when people shove, they have it. They, they, they want you to call with your mediocre hand and take down big effing pots. So just remember, uh, it's rarely done. And, and that's why it's called bluff catching. You know, that's why the term exists, bluff catching, uh, because, you know, you're, you're the hero. You know, you figured out that 5% of the time, that one time, through that one or two or three times throughout a six-hour session that somebody is bluffing. So really, really try to keep that in mind. And when you sit down at a table, I play at a table that's got nine players, and just try to recognize the bluffers. Try to recognize, or the people that can bluff and will bluff and could bluff and might bluff. So just think of that. I sit down at a table. Now, at a, at a cash game, players can come and go. But most of the time, people are playing in at least three to four hour sessions. So at a nine seat table, essentially, I could have those nine players at my session about 80 to 90% of the time, sometimes all the time, they're there. They're just the players that we play with. I can get up. I can move tables. I don't do that. I've played poker long enough to know that if you're patient and you wait it out, the cards will come and the chips will come. But let's go back. I sit down. There's nine players at a table. 
I'm one of them because I play a lot of poker. So if I catch myself in a situation where I see a weak player and they're trying to protect their chips, bluffing's going to work. Now, I don't use it as a strategy, as a leading strategy, but absolutely it's a good backup plan for somebody that's trying to protect their chips. Um, so keep that in mind. When you sit down, you want to look around. You want to say, okay, out of these nine players, who can bluff? Who's willing to bluff? And usually it's only one or two or three people out of the nine. So you literally have six out of the nine players, sometimes seven out of the nine that just won't bluff. They're waiting for premium hands. They won't put their chip stack in to bluff. It's just not their style. They've never done it. It, it, They don't know how to do it. They don't know how to posture and make it actually look like they have a huge hand when they're bluffing. So that's a huge part of it. Now, there's good times to bluff, okay? And there's bad times to bluff. Number one rule when you bluff, you have to sense weakness. If you don't sense any weakness, it's it's not a bluff. They actually have a hand and you're going to get called. So remember, when you're bluffing, you have to sense some sort of weakness in their hand in order to get that bluff through. Number two, when you can play the board, it's a great time to bluff. Now, you should still sense a little weakness, but if the board comes out, let's say, ace-king-five, and then the turn is another five, so the board pairs, that's a great time to go ahead and and try to get a bluff through. So you have to be able to look at the board. The board has to be a little bit scary, which we call a scary card for the other players. If I'm the one bluffing, it's a scary card for you. Usually it's a it's a paired board, you know. So the the flop is like 9 king 4 and the turn is another 9. Or let's just say that the turn is is a blank card and it's not a f- possible flush draw, but then the river's a nine. So now the then there was a nine on the flop. There's a nine on the river. Perfect. People are worried about your ace nine suited. So there's certain times when you really want to look at the board as an opportunity to bluff. Okay. So let's go to number three. Um, when your head's up with a tight player you can really get bluffs through. Again, your head's up with a tight player. Now, if your head's up with a good player who has a hand, you can't bluff. You're going to get called and you're going to lose. And when I say bluffing, that means you don't have a hand. (laughs) You may have a backup plan like a high card ace or a king or something like that. But most of the time to get a bluff through in heads up situation for a weak kind of a a, a weak, I call weak, tight, you know, whatever player, you're going to get that bluff through. Okay. Now, if, if everybody considers you tight, like if you're able to represent a tight image and there's ways to do this, when you sit down at a table, if you fold, let's say your first 10 hands, People are going to recognize that. Now, of course, if you have aces or kings or queens or ace-king or ace-queen suited, there's about 10 hands that 
it's ridiculous to fold because why would you even show up to a poker table and fold kings? Why would you ever show up to a poker table and fold ace-queen suited? Uh, hey, I like any any premium hand to me is a hand that I can get the royal on, the, the, the royal flush, the ultimate hand. So, you know, queen-jack suited or ace-10 suited. If you can catch the royal, then... I love playing those cards because you never know when the Royal is going to come out. Now, I'll give up, of course. I'll give up in certain points in the hand when when the odds start to diminish or, or my gut just tells me, eh, the Royal ain't coming right now. But remember that. If you're able to establish a tight image at a table, you're going to get your bluffs through way more often because they think you're tight. So you're only playing premium hands. You have two pair. You have ace king. You have ace jack. You have pocket aces, pocket jacks, pocket tens. Whatever these premium hands that the other players think that you have, like those are the only hands this guy plays. It is such a perfect scenario to represent a tight image. And then you will get bluffs through way more often. Okay. Now, this is kind of my number four, number five. I don't know where, where we're at. But if you're representing a good hand, you want to be able to read the board and say, okay, if if the player I'm going against doesn't have the nuts, so if you can, and I get that there's no guarantees, you can't see their cards. But if you're pretty sure that who you're going against doesn't have the nuts, you can represent the nuts and and people will fold to the nuts. So sometimes it's a little bit of table talk. I do plenty of table talk. A lot of people don't, but it works, okay? So if you can represent the nuts, and again, table talk, like, hey, I flopped it, or hey, I got there. Hey, what can I do? I got the nuts. Most people don't say that. So if you can represent the nuts, now again, you're, you're banking that the other person doesn't have the nut. So it's a little bit of table read. It's a little bit, it's a little bit of player read. But remember that, okay? Now, other things I want to kind of just throw out there before I finish this episode on bluffing. Position. Position is a big deal. Chip stack. Chip stack is a big deal. If, some, if you find that somebody is, let's say we're sitting down at a one, two, three, and it's a $300 limit and they're down to like $65. Their last option might just be to put their $65 in. You also want to know how many people rebuy or, or excuse me, how many times somebody will rebuy. And that's called bankroll. You know, does this person you know, drive a BMW and they got a bunch of money and, and or, or, you know, whatever the scenario is. Sometimes, sometimes it's very hard to, to tell this. Sometimes it's very easy. By patterns, by playing with people over and over and over again, which I do, I play at the same card room over and over and over again, over again so I can get to know players and I can get to know their habits. Do they go for walks for 30 minutes and they're really just killing time in an air-conditioned casino with some good food and some waitresses that wear short skirts versus wanting to play poker? So if you have this scenario 
where this person isn't going to rebuy and rebuy and rebuy, then you can you can get through a bluff. You can get a bluff through way more often because this person isn't just going to take their last $65 and shove it in versus like myself, I have a decent bankroll. I will rebuy over and over again and realize that my third rebuy is probably my hot session. And that's when I'm going to combine good play with good cards and run my stack up incredibly to make up for any losses. And that happens repeatedly in the card room that I play at. So position, you want to remember, of course, the button is the last to act. So if you're button or next to the button, you don't have to you know, really worry about so many, so many players uh, in terms of getting your bluff through. And then the one of the things I, this is really not, uh, not elaborate or I guess complex. It's a little deeper into the poker world. And this is what I call tells or the poker world calls tells. So if you sit at a table long enough, you'll see a lot of people look at their phone. They won't watch other, when they fold, they won't watch other people play their hand. And that's a mistake. If you're, if you're somebody that's committed to playing poker, you want to try your best to identify tells. And that is just the way people hold cards. It's the way they stack chips. It's the way they sit. It's the way they breathe. It's the way they touch their face. Tells can be... So many things, whether they talk or not, the twitches, the, I mean, I, I, I should just do a whole episode on tells, honestly. But, but remember, if you can figure out tells, then it's much easier to play that opponent because you have a tell. And basically what we're trying to figure out is strong or weak. Do they have a hand? Are they fishing? Are they, are they on a draw? Or, or are they actually you know, somebody that doesn't have any tells. And that's what people, that's what good players try to do. They sit still, they try to control their breathing. They don't talk. They don't, they barely even stack their chips. They may stack their chips like a robot. You know, that is kind of a tell in itself to me sometimes because I, I play enough to actually see that. So again, eye movements, you'll see very rarely people are wearing dark glasses anymore. Maybe one out of the nine players will have dark glasses on. Uh, but, you know, look at their eye movements. If people look down at their cards a lot, that usually means they have a good hand. If they look at the chips in the middle of the table a lot, that means they're focused on the chips. They think they're going to get the chips. If they look around at other players, they're very curious about what these other players are going to do. So then they're very interested in the hand, basically. They feel like they're strong. They feel like they're going to get the chips. And the eye, the eye movement is such a big deal. And it just plays into whether you bluff or not, whether you don't bluff or not. You're just trying to read strengths and, and weaknesses, okay? So that's about it, you guys. This is my bluffing episode, D. Franz and the poker segment of the podcast world. Hopefully you enjoyed this content. Uh, much, much more to come. I, 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 going through this, I think I will kind of break this down and do a couple episodes on tells, maybe position, maybe chip stack, you know, that kind of thing. So D friends, peace out. Have an amazing day.